Before the episode starts properly, I want to let you know about a really cool thing that is happening to me, which is that I am publishing a book through Unbound. Unbound are a publishing company, which means that they don't publish things that they don't think are good and that they edit and they support their authors. The thing that makes them different from other publishing companies is they're half publishing company and half crowdfunding company which means that the way that the books get published is that people who want to read the books pre-order those books they can pre-order them as a digital copy or as a hardback or they can pledge more money to get different kinds of things along with the book that they're pre-ordering unbound approached me in december to see if i wanted to adapt my show what about the men mansplaining masculinity into a book and i said yes please i definitely would like to do that and so that is what i'm doing if you go to the unbound website and there'll be a link to this in the show notes you can find mansplaining masculinity over there and pre-order a copy of that book the way that this book is going to get made is by people like you pre-ordering it and pledging to it and people like you telling other people about it sharing it on social media recommending it to other people those kinds of things you can find out what the book is fully about by reading about it on the page there's a video of me in a purple dress and fedora with my childhood toy dolphin telling you about what the book is about video is your preferred way to absorb information but basically mansplaining masculinity is about looking into myself and looking out at culture and thinking about how masculinity is constructed and created and how systematic elements contribute both to the ways that men are hurt by society but also the ways that men hurt other people in society it is not a book that says that men are the problem But it is a book that will say that we can be part of the solution. And if you want to get an idea of what it's like before you pledge to it, you can listen to a podcast of the show that it's adapted from on the website mansplainingmasculinity.co.uk. And also there was an episode of BBC Radio 4's Forethought called Liberating Men, which was a reflection on an extension of the show. So listen to those shows, see if you like what you hear, and if you do, then please do support and pledge to make mansplaining masculinity happen. Probably my earliest memory period was like, I was attracted to the stereo system and the feeling it gave my chest, because like my parents used to have like little parties and stuff. And the bass, that feeling you get when it's a heavy bass, I was attracted to that, and I was also attracted to the stereo and then the record collections and stuff. And yeah, music's been there from day one, really. I can't remember a day that's gone by that I haven't listened to music in some way, whether it's been in school and as a choir or like just in TV, but music's always been there right. before anything. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better. Better, better acquainted with you. Today we're getting better acquainted with Gabriel Abule. Hello. Hello, Gabriel. Hello. Nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you here. Yeah, we're in my flat on a rare sunny day in London. It is like... sun. It's, it's quite cold still, but it's, there's a sun 
Yeah, like, I came back from the north today. We were like, why is London sunny? <laughs> and, and nice like this, since we're thinking about leaving London, it's weird to kind of come back to see it in its like nicest version of mm, itself. It's quite nice, yeah. The first question that I ask everybody is, how do you know me? Well, I think we met maybe two years ago in Edinburgh and uh, I was, I was uh, probably some bar somewhere in Edinburgh and uh, it was someone dropped out of your gig right stand up right. gig and I was just like it happened to Edinburgh people just around so like if someone drops out of your night you can just find a comic because their comics like rats in Edinburgh just everywhere right? right so I think I filled in for someone yeah well it was someone dropped out yeah. and so you filled in for someone yeah. but we didn't meet in a bar like my, my memory of it maybe we did meet in a bar before this yeah. but I saw your show Armchair anarchist right oh wow and oh yeah i saw like i saw the posters for that when yeah. i was walking around and like it called to me right because mm. i like i think of myself as an armchair anarchist yeah. myself <laughs> and also like you know it was clearly like you were like into punk and mm. like that sort of there was that kind of a vibe yeah, yeah. so i was like wow this is gonna like this is the show for me i turned up at your show the day that i booked you later i think we talked we talked afterwards right, right? At, the, right. At, the, at the door yeah okay yeah. that makes more sense so then, yeah. and I, I turned up at your show and it was like you had the worst audience like oh, was it one of the bad? Was it, it was, was it the one where the guy was heckling at the front? Yeah, it was a stag a stag party. Yeah, yeah, had come yeah. to see like a sensitive storytelling show, yeah, yeah, yeah. and they just and you were like you stopped and you were like, look, this is this is what this is. Mm. You this is the kind of show you come to. You can leave if you want or you can stay. And they were like, no, 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 stay, stay, stay. Oh, yeah, and, then yeah. you, and then they just kept being dicks, and you like kept. <laughs> Shit, like, I remember yeah, that. And you, I think you gave up in the end. You were like, fuck it. Yeah, so I think I think I ended up just doing club stuff at the end because yeah. it was just like it was pointless. Because the funny thing about that is I booked that show because it was like a sort of political show about me, sort of my political leanings and stuff. So I booked yeah. it specifically like in the afternoon to make sure that I wouldn't get that stuff. So I don't really right. mind like, because I do club gigs all the time, so I'm used to it. I know how to deal with it. Right. But when it's like a, you know, when it's like, if you're doing a bit and it's like a story and then someone halfway through just shouts, oh, show us your dick or something. You can't, there's no way to win that back. And where, it's a massive yeah, where jump. Where can you go? Yeah, so... Yeah, I do. I think I I must have blocked that out of my memory. That's why I don't I didn't think of that. No, really. it's a definitely worth blocking. But no, I do remember now because you came out. You came because it was one of those shows, and they they were just a fucking assholes. And then at the end, like two or three people were like, oh, "Thank you, that was just sorry for that." And I remember meeting you. Yeah, I remember you saying, "Oh, that was really nice. We'll come again." I was because like, I was telling people come again because like you didn't see the show. It yeah. was so I stopped. I was on a club set so they could just. Which, which I shouldn't have done actually because you shouldn't uh, give in to the idiots. But they were just ruining it. So I thought. That's just you know. I think it, like it's complicated as well. Those kind of moments, like sometimes you, if you keep on trying, it can. Yeah. It's, just, it's just a waste yeah, yeah. of energy. And it's one of those things that this is a thing that hecklers do that I hate is when they'll heckle you and you will go, "All right, you need to shut the fuck up. Or you need to leave." Then they'll go like, "Oh no!" But they'll make themselves the victim. So then you look like an asshole. Right, right. So right. you have to. This is a, one of those complicated heckle moments. But yeah, I remember that now. Yeah, and that's and that's one of the like you know I liked what I'd seen uh, in the in the hour, but obviously it wasn't as it as it should have been. No. Um, and that's one of the reasons why like when when someone pulled out, I was like, I want to I want Gabriel to like leave today, having done a set with like, people <laughs> who appreciate the kind of work he's doing. Yeah, because yeah. like that's part of it. Like I think because like from a conserving energy point of view, mm. it makes sense to not fight that fight yeah, yeah, yeah. because you, it's a, it's a, it's a marathon at Edinburgh. Yeah, but I'm not, like, yeah, I'm not sure what, when was that during the run though because there was a point during that run of it it was just like I, I give up at this point because it was a whole like I think that was the year it might be been the year that the whole Calgate head thing happened right it with was PBH yeah so it was just, it was just a, a fucking nightmare and I think towards the middle of that run it was going quite I, I enjoyed it I should have it was sort of a work in progress show and I sort of left that show I might pick it up again at some point but 
it was it was there's a point in Edinburgh where you just sort of break and it's like yeah. I can't be I can't be asked I'll just I'll give in to you. Yep. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. Well, and and definitely like that that year, like you were on one of the free fringes, and that was the problem mm. that there was a couple of free fringes, and they were in like the same venue or yeah, different yeah, yeah. venues, yeah. and <laughs> hunters didn't know what what was going yeah. on. And, you know, comedians and other artists working for both those fringes, you know, they didn't hate, there was no hate amongst that, yeah. like, there was no, like, across those lines that were kind of arbitrarily yeah. was, uh, drawn was, up. But was, everyone was screwed, like, everybody was screwed. Yeah. And there were just people walking around trying to find rooms that they oh, couldn't yeah. find. And... It, was a, it was a really, that str- was a really strange Edinburgh. Like, weird things were happening, like, uh, I think the, the guys who were supposed to be in Club Get Head, the whole thing happened, and they had a venue... One of their venues burnt down. One got flooded. Right, right. One yes. got someone found like a, like a, I think it was a body. That someone was found in one of the on right, the arches. I didn't even hear that, but... Yeah, it was just like a, <laughs> it was every day. It was like, oh, what's happened now? You know, that was one of those fringes. I remember being a uh, hard but enjoyable. That's the thing with Edinburgh. It's like it's always good in hindsight. It's why I always, it's why I always tell everyone because you, you yeah. all, after you go, yeah. people say the Edinburgh Blues or whatever. But there is a moment where you realize that you just spent a month doing what you love every day and the way you're doing it is taxing and you're eating shit food and you're bumping into people you don't want to bump into and it's all the stuff that's happening but it's a it's a really good uh, fun experience to to do to be a part of right yeah yeah i mean and so many things are like tied up in edinburgh like mm. there's so many different like hopes and dreams and like all of those things as well like it's hard to appreciate that you're doing what you love for a, for a month because mm. you're so busy like chasing the potential of doing what you love every day yeah. for the rest of your life yeah yeah i hope people don't like um the whole Edinburgh dream thing. I think I can't remember who said this. I think it's been attributed to different people, but there's someone said that Edinburgh is like a uh, hundred comics go to Edinburgh, throw money in the air, and two people win an award. Right. And it's like you have to think of it in Edinburgh. Should be you. You should use it. And I've really just literally just I'm not, I didn't talk like I'm I've done this my whole life. But I think if you go to Edinburgh, you should use it as a, a way to build an audience and to hone your craft, and not to think. I'm gonna go there to win the award because if you do, it's gonna, you're just gonna not have Absolutely. a good time. Because everyone, I've known, I've known quite a few people who have been nominated and won the award. I can, I know John Kearns, uh, who was nominated last year. Ed Knight, yeah, a day Ed Knight was was nominated, and like they always, they're always surprised because they always say, "I didn't go up with the." Obviously, in the back of your head, you're thinking, "I would like to win it," but right. you should always go up. Dude, just have, just have fun. It sounds like a shit thing to say, or like a, a stereotypical thing to say, but. To go up to have fun and try to become a better comic, not to win the award. Right. I mean, whatever part of the arts you're in as well, that's a good that's a good way to think yeah. about it. And also just like to learn your craft, to learn what you're doing, mm. to think about it, to like to like really work on a show for a month solid with that being the primary thing you're thinking about. Mm. It's it's almost impossible to achieve. Yeah. I mean Obviously, you're achieving it with kind of great financial risk to yourself oh, a, and like a massive punishment yeah. uh, in that respect. But like, it's it's you know you get out of things what you put in, I guess. It's, mm. it's and how you approach it can can be a big part of it. Like I've been to a lot of Edinburghs and done a lot of different kinds of shows, and it's like um, I don't can't think of one of them I regret. Like I can't mm. think of one of them that I haven't learned some stuff about Same. myself or, any, or like that sort of stuff. Yeah, it's like it's been put in that kind of. It's, it's it's been put in an extreme situation to a certain extent. It's like, Edinburgh. Yeah, like mm. you're you because you're like you say you're not eating properly. You're like you're you're, you're sort of like you're tight. Like I've fallen asleep. I've literally fallen asleep on stage while singing a song <laughs> at Edinburgh once. That's like it's that Edinburgh. level exactly right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like yeah, you say that to someone who hasn't done Edinburgh. They're like, how can you fall asleep mm. on stage? You say that to someone who's done Edinburgh. They're like, yeah, yeah, classic. Yeah, yeah, yeah I've yeah. done that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's a really intense. Like because you're doing your own show. 
And if you're smart, you will like just do your own show, especially if you're doing an hour, because doing an hour on stage every day is a, is a lot of uh, it's a, it's hard work, especially if you're trying to learn it while you're up there. Um, but what you would do also is you would do like just spots and like hundreds of gigs in that month. And like every year we've been up, me and my friend Sam have like a random tally to see if we can outdo each other for how many gigs we've done in a day. I remember last year he did nine in a day, I did seven. And that's like, you could do, you could double that in Edinburgh because like there's literally every hour you can jump on somewhere. So the intensity of it is quite like, it's just insane. And like by the end of it, you sort of, you're just sort of working off muscle memory most of the time, just sort right. of not really knowing what you're doing. Um, but it is, it sounds, I don't, every time I tell someone who's not a comedian about Edinburgh, they're like, why the fuck would you, why the fuck would you do it? <laughs> and to be honest, I don't, <laughs> thinking about it, I don't even know, but we just do and it's fun. But it's also like intense at the same time. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, and so the second question I ask everybody is, what do you do now? And I guess we're slightly touching on this, but what do you do now? Comedy. I do comedy. I do a podcast. Same. The thing. The funny thing about questions like, you know, if you've met someone when you meet people and they're like, oh, how are you doing? Or like, what have you been up to? My go-to thing is the same old, same old. And I switch because I, I just <laughs> that's what I do. I, I just do. Com- I've been doing comedy for a while, on and off. I have periods when I gig quite heavily periods when I don't because of the podcast I'm not gigging as much as I should be I'm sort of trying to focus on that um, but yeah it's just comedy podcasting a bit of freelance work to, to prop up the comedy and right. Edinburgh but mostly just yeah same same old shit and like when did that like become a thing for you like when did you when did it come into your life the idea of doing comedy oh, mate, I've, been, I've been doing it so long I can't even remember I remember being a kid and watching um, Chris Rock a Chris Rock special on the VHS tape in my living room very vividly and he did it was one of his famous bits it might have been the n-word bit or it might have been the um I can't remember what special it was i know he's wearing a shiny suit which doesn't narrow it down for christmas <laughs> specials but he was in a very flamboyant suit and i remember it because at that point i was always interested in comedy and the idea of i was like i was told i was a funny kid and stuff uh, but the thing with comedy in the uk is you're sort of exposed to a very specific type of comedy especially before the sort of the stand-up boom when i was a kid there was no love at the apollo there was no like um, live at a comedy store right. there was just like fucking Michael, Michael Barrymore was like my favourite comedian as a kid right. right and like it was because I had no idea so obviously this tape came into a VHS like a like a spaceship from the heavens and it was Chris Rock and I was like I've never seen someone be so I didn't really know what he was talking about either I was a kid but there was something about it and the reaction of my brothers laughing at it I was like oh, I, I want to know what this is about so then I just sort of you know because the internet was a thing I went on the internet it's like I was stand up comedy and I discovered the American side of comedy. Right. And that's when Bill Hicks came in. Right. And Jerry Seinfeld. And I sort of became addicted to comedy in the, in a way of, like, trying to listen to comedy albums and uh, just try to figure out just why why were, they, why were they saying these things? And why were they trying to, you know, just why, basically? Like why, right. why would you want to, if you're Chris Rock, why do you, why do you go on stage and tell 2,000 strangers bullets need to be taxed? Like, how did you come up with that idea? How did you sort of... Because it was so... All the comedy I was exposed to before was just so, like, light-hearted bullshit. And it was funny, but it was, like... It seemed like it wasn't important. But when you see, like, a Bill Hicks special, it's like, that's a man on a mission. And I wanted to figure out why he was on that mission. And right. I think I became, you know, as all comics do, you go through that Bill Hicks phase when you're like, I want to be, I want to be Bill Hicks. Um, so then I uh, I literally just typed in stand-up comedy into Google and the first thing that came up, which you might still do, if you type in stand-up comedy London, I think the Lions Den Comedy Club comes up. Because uh, the guy who runs it, Tim Randall, was a, is a savvy internet guy. And, uh, I saw they did a, a, I saw they did a, um, I saw a comedy car crash. So you could pay four pounds, you could do a set. And at that time, I was sort of, I had bits in my head because I think um, 
one of the most cliche things like I'm going to say today is like I think comedians are born, not made. And I think that because the way I my brain works, I work my brain works in bits. So if something happens, I'm like, how can that be a bit? And I know like a lot of my friends think of that think that way as well. And I've always thought that right. way. And I think com- finding comedy sort of um, made those two things connect. So I sort of had bits in my head since I was a kid. And then I just sort of found out the courage, went to the car crash, did it, got two laughs from a five-minute set. I was like, okay, that's enough. And I just kept on doing it, and here we are. That's good. I mean, that's good. I mean, like, like a lot of the time when I speak to... Because I've had, I've had quite a few comedians mm. on the show, and, like, one of the models seems to be you do a gig it goes amazingly and then you're trying to chase that and then the other model is you do a gig and it completely flops mm. and like that makes you want to come back and do it again because it didn't get anything but you got like a kind of a basic yeah okay. I, like I it was, was okay it was good. like i remember the first thing i said i can't remember exactly what i said but i remember the first few words i said on stage for the first time ever got like a little bit of a uh, i was like wow <laughs> I, was like, I just felt Maybe not powerful, but I just felt like fucking hell, I did that. It's a it's a weird little thing. So I've seen people who do their first gig and they just die horribly. But there's something about being on stage and either wanting to be better or being good already and trying to get better that makes you go back and go back and go back, you know. Even when you've done a run of good gigs. Like I've had some fucking awful gigs. Like I remember a gig I did, I did in Croydon and in the first two minutes someone got bottled on stage. Wow. That some guys were fighting. <laughs> I just was like okay I, I obviously I I tried to bring it back it did not work because like, that was like first year and then when you when you say that to someone and you go well I wouldn't do it again like why would you want to do that again sometimes today like I'll be doing a, I'll be in the green room of like a really big gig and I'll feel really nervous and sick uh, self doubt but I'll always go on stage and I don't know why maybe it's like a weird sort of Stockhausen Syndrome thing of I, I've sort of tricked myself into enjoying it but then when you do actually do it it's just like nothing beats when you're on stage and it's just all going well you've got the crown in the palm of your hand and it's like you're playing an orchestra you know you're the conductor and right. it's, a, it's a rare feeling and it's a great feeling I think that's the feeling that we chase that like when it's going like, phenomenally well because does, that doesn't happen all the time you know not, um, some of the greatest comics will have and the, when you get better the, the sort of barometer of how good you're doing gets higher so you're sort of if you've done this if you've got like five applause breaks in a gig if you get four of the next gig, you know, what well, I didn't do as good as the... Right, there's always right, something right. that... You know, if you talk to comics, one thing we always say is that you can be killing a room, doing really well, there's one person in the front row not, not liking it. You're not, you didn't do as well as you should have done. So that's the... It's just a weird... The way we sort of... Our brains work is it's a weird sort of... I don't know. I'm almost scared to analyse it because maybe I'll just fucking quit and right. become a poet or something. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, like, the other thing that you... Like that, I know that you're into because mm. of because of your podcast, mm. which is the three track podcast. Yes, um, is music. Yes, yeah? and like it's interesting when you're talking about comedy. There, like some of those kind of some of those things are quite quite you could you could apply to making music as well. Oh, some yeah. of those things, and like certainly like uh, seeing someone get bottled and then going on and doing a set yeah. is is quite within the wheelhouse of like some of the kinds of music you like, oh, yeah, like punk to, music yeah, or like grime music or whatever. <laughs> yeah. It's like that kind of a an experience of like yeah like brutal violence mm. is kind of like something within some of those musics um, that you like. So. Yeah, I mean, did music was music something you were already into around about the time when you got into oh, comedy? Music was my first love. It right. was the first thing that uh, if you listen if you listen to my my dad say it or dad said it, but that's not here any, anymore. But uh, my dad used to tell me that um, he would 
my dad, my dad was big into music. So what he would do was he would put headphones on our belly and when we were in our mum's stomachs and like try to get us to move. And out of the three, out of the four, I've got three brothers. So out of, the four, out of the four of us, I was the only one that moved. Right. So you so were I was into music the, I was, before yeah, you were born. Yeah, I was the music kid. And my earliest memory, because on my podcast, the first question I usually ask someone is, what's your earliest memory of music? Right. And mine is, I remember being a kid, probably my earliest memory period was like, I was attracted to the stereo system and the feeling it gave my chest. Because like, my parents used to have like little parties and stuff. And the bass, that feeling you get when it's a heavy bass, I was attracted to that. And I was always attracted to the stereo and then the record collections and stuff. And yeah, music's been there from day one, really. Like, I can't remember a day that's gone by that I haven't listened to music in some way, whether it's been in school and as a choir or like just in TV, but music's always been there right. before anything. And when your dad was playing that music to you, was that would that have been jazz music, right? I was all sorts. Like my dad was had a very like eclectic okay. taste. I know he's a jazz head a yeah, bit. Yeah, you've talked about yeah. how you can't quite get into jazz, even though you yeah, appreciate. I, I had what I call a bad jazz childhood. Because <laughs> like, if your parents like something and they say you'll be wanting to, because you, anything your parents say, you're not yeah. going to really yeah. like. I wish because my dad sort of exposed me to a lot of cool art growing up. Sort of took it for granted. Like he was really into movies and stuff. So when I was like five. By the time I was like 10, I'd seen all the Charlie Chaplin movies, all the Buster Keaton movies, like all the cool silent movies. And I enjoyed them as a kid, but then as you get older, you want to like what your friends like, or you want to like what's on TV. So if he's like, oh, here's a Charles Mingus, really angular, experimental shit, or Sun Ra, like, I shouldn't be, yeah. like, even though it was good, no 12 year, 12 year old should listen to Sun Ra. It's just yeah. so fucking weird. Um, so yeah, jazz I mean, was a thing. Some of those guys, like Charles Mingus, like I love what he, I love the way he writes mm. about music, but I can't get into his music. Like yeah. I want to hear the music he writes about. That's funny though, because I recently, um, I've been listening to a lot of jazz recently, and Charles Mingus is one of the ones that have broken through. Because I wanted, I want to get out of that um, triangle of oh, Miles Davis, John Coltrane, and like whoever else. Like, right, right, right. The sort of popular ones. I'm trying to find the. Just try to explore jazz a little bit more because jazz is such a um, a rich and good genre, even though I can't get into it as much. But Charles Mingus, funnily enough, is one that I quite enjoy. Can't name any of them. Yeah, jazz was always there first. My dad was a big jazz fan and a classical fan, and he introduced me to a lot of African music, like Fela Kuti and a, a lot of Nigerian artists. Um, and he, had, he he enjoyed pop as well, but I think he didn't want to. He didn't expose us to a lot of pop music. He wanted us to have the. I think my dad was like a real musician's musician in the in the way that. Yeah, the Beatles were fun music and cool, but yeah. like this is real music, right? right? So like, I want to hold your hand. That's cool, but listen to Miles called like Miles Davis play the trumpet now. So I got loads of different little things, and then there's no point in exposing you to pop anyway, because you're going to be exposed to pop by culture. You say that though, but like the time that I was growing up, the oh, pop yeah, that the... the pop that was around, like Britney Spears and Sync and shit, and. By that time, when I was in school, I was like, whenever my dad wouldn't let me look at listen, listen to listen to his vinyl, and rightly so. If I had a kid, I wouldn't let him touch my fucking vinyl. But like, <laughs> I would always, whenever we'd go to work and I had a chance, I'd always go through and I'd see all these little pictures and stuff, and I remember them. And I'd go to our record store in uh, Elephant and Castle, and they'd let our bank off school. Sorry, mum. And I listened to records, and that's like ten. I was like listening to the Smiths, the Stooges, and stuff. So I would go into school, and everyone would be like, "Oh, NSYNC. Britney Spears and I'd be like, yeah, but the Stooges for power, the jam, the clash. I was like, yeah. so I was a, it was I was a weird kid in school. I, I know what you mean. I mean, like that was the nineties, right? Yeah, it was. The, yeah. It was the late nineties. I, I, I was born in ninety one. Right, right. So right. It, was, it was it was the late nineties, early two thousand. Late nineties. Okay, so right, right, right. So like I was, I was listening to pop music in the nineties, I guess, because I was at, at school, at mm. secondary school. But the music that I listened to mostly in the nineties was 
older music like like you're talking about yeah. because there just wasn't the same like you could get into it like uh, like oasis or blur or whatever could be gateway drugs to the to the good stuff mm. i mean i'm not saying like there's there's, there's legitimate 90s musicians who i like i'm not i don't want to shit all over them yeah but definitely there was like a culture got super circular mm. i reckon around the 90s definitely but I think maybe this is the wrong timeline so forgive me if I get this wrong but there was Dylan the Beatles and stuff but there's also like my doggy in the window right, right. there's always been right, shit, music. There was shit music always, no, yeah. every era I mean you can look at a, a pop chart in this in this I think there's a book called by um, David Hepworth called 1971 right he says the greatest year of music and he just he lists all the albums released in 1971 it's a good fucking argument by the way can I swear on this but yeah, okay, yeah, cool. I swear already but all right cool <laughs> but um so there's a, there's loads of great albums, and you look at like sort of charts, and you see oh Bob Dylan was there, and the Beatles are there, and stuff like that. So it was great, and there was great music available, but there's always been like music that wasn't as good as yeah the classics, or music that provided a different experience for people. Yeah, because that's like how I try to think. Like I try to think like this. I don't naturally think like this. Like obviously, I think in terms of like good and bad, mm. like like everybody. Yeah. But I do, I do try to keep remembering that like what I get out of a piece of music might be very different from what someone else does, and like mm. what I get isn't better necessarily than what they get. Mm. Um, but it's hard to completely feel that. Oh um, yeah, and but no, I don't think anyone does. But <laughs> it's, it's good to try to make. I, I do that as well. Like. Uh, it's a recent thing though, because I used to be like, "Well, mine, what I listen to is great. What you listen to is shit." <laughs> yeah, and that's just a stupid way to navigate your your way through life. So you don't get interesting conversations from it either. Yeah, you know that's the thing. You and don't it's... find out new stuff that might be you might be into because mm. you're, so, you're so busy like telling someone that they've got no musical yeah. taste at all. Yeah, and it's, you have to. It's good to you know just try try new things, and even if it's not, because you know there's a good Katy Perry song that you can listen to and. Definitely, there no, like, definitely is. Yeah, I mean, it's like fast. It's like fast food, you know. Like, I like you don't eat it every day, but you know, every two days maybe. Well, my theory about music as well is that like most musicians have got like one great song. Like, it doesn't uh, matter like whatever whatever genre they're from or any of those things. It's like normally a song by someone. Or like like even like Cliff Richard or whatever. Like people who are like Cliff, normally Cliff, yeah. he's got a few good songs. He's got actually. A, yeah, but like but, yeah. but but like there's there's like it's just like the luck of like you know someone is coming up with some notes and some words and just like throwing shit at the wall like mm. it'll, one of them will work one of them will stick definitely particularly when it's like gone through the music industry as well like somebody at some point will have put something interesting in it sometimes even yeah. if the original writer didn't have that in it like background sound fans will will know that there's coffee brewing behind us and it sounds like it's brewed so I'm going to go and get us a coffee oh, cool. so we can like, get a bit more caffeinated <laughs> okay. for the rest of this conversation yeah so like okay so you so Music came first yeah. from before you were even born. Yeah, it was just always there. And then comedy came along. Like, why did you decide to go the route of comedy rather than the route of music? Because I can't sing, can't play guitar, and I can't rap. Right. And I've tried an awful lot of all of them. I think cause everyone's even, even if you've like, I've always wanted to be a comic for a very long time. But as a kid, I mean, but I think we all want to be rock stars. You know, if oh. you see, it's hard to look at a, a video of Jimi Hendrix playing like the guitar behind his head as a seven-year-old. Especially as a young black kid, they'd be like, I, I wouldn't do that, you know? Because right. yeah. growing up, like, I never thought I could, couldn't see myself doing it. Then I sort of saw Jimi Hendrix, then uh, Bad Brains, who are a, a hardcore punk band from DC, who are basically black rasters, and they're just the most hardest punk band you've ever seen. And they were black. And seeing that as a kid, I was like, fucking hell, I want to do this. Um, and I think if I would have sort of tried, if I would have stuck to it a bit more, because the thing with me, sometimes I get an idea. And I become like super obsessed with it for like a while. But if that doesn't if that doesn't like carry on, I'll just leave it. 
So I've left a lot of projects. Like Andre Anarchist is the one I just left. Um, but yeah, it w there was a point where I wanted to be a rock star or in a band or was involved in music in some way. And even when I was sort of getting into comedy, like I wanted to sort of start my own record label because I read a I read a book about SST Records. It's a it's a hardcore punk uh, label from LA, um, run by uh, Greg Ginn, uh, who was Black Flag. And the story of the record was, if you just look at their discography, st stuff that they released, it was like similar to Factory Records in Manchester, right? right. It was they, their model basically wasn't like we don't want to make money. Like, it would be nice to make money, but what you want to do is you want to create fucking art, right? And they did. Right. You look at the the discography on Factory Records, it's just immaculate. I, mean, I love Factory Yeah, and you look at the discography on SST, it's just immaculate. The Huskadoo, the Minutemen, Black Flag, it's just fucking right. beautiful. And I wanted to sort of create that in the UK in some way. Um, but then I got into comedy and it's like, you can't really be in the record industry because like, I wanted to be an A&R, so I wanted to sort of go and see and sign new bands and sort of do stuff like that. And I sort of researched it a bit. And it was at the same sort of parallel time I was getting into comedy and I was like, well, my nights are going to be fucked no matter what I choose. So I have to either do comedy or right. go that way. And right, I think right. I think I probably chose the right way because, you know, then Spotify came along. Being in the music industry is like pointless now. So, but yeah, I, it, there was a there was a moment in time where music was was uh, nearly going to be the thing. Right. Yeah. Because I wanted to be involved in it in some way. Well, I mean, you are, like, in some ways, what you're doing now with your podcast is kind oh, of yeah. a &R in a way or like yeah, yeah. at least like it's creating discussions around music which mm, is always so. an important thing like, yeah. I love your show oh thank you like I, you know I just I love to listen to, to people talk about music anyway mm. um, and I'm a big fan of Desert Island Discs and so obviously there's a, a certain element that you're kind of borrowing from mm. in, in sampling from yeah. um, in that people talk about themselves when they talk about the music they love and that is great and mm. I love that um, the, the frustrating thing about making a show like that in a podcast is you can't put the music in yeah um but who knows you but know? it makes it better though i think because like if you got to think um if i was to have a podcast or if sales on a radio and i had the license to play all these songs um if someone would say okay so i like eight miles high by husker do the cover of the birds i think it is um and we and then we said okay i like it because I, I discovered it at this time blah blah blah, blah. and it's got i like the guitars and then we played the song and then it'll be over right with my podcast it's like because we can't really play it, it makes you describe it so specifically and it makes you really break it down. It's, like, it's, it's actually yeah, better. That's right. And before, I used to think it would be annoying for people, but the people that I've, I've spoken to, listened to it, have said, like, I enjoy that more. Because then what you do, if someone doesn't know a song as well, what they do, because I've got like a Spotify right. playlist, so literally you just pause it and go listen to it and you could sort of dip in and out. So it's more focused on, I think not playing the music allows the person I'm talking to to sort of maybe come at it from a different angle and it will sort of bring up something else in their head because they're really thinking hard to describe why they like the song right. without hearing it straight away. You right, know? I mean, because it's, it's called Three Track Podcast, yeah. but you listen to any per person's conversation on it um, and you probably, you hear about a lot more than three tracks. Oh yeah, it has to be. Once you start talking about yeah. music, you can't stop talking yeah. about music. You, you know, you think of another song or another artist or whatever that comes into the conversation and that's one of the things I love about it. Mm. It's definitely like three tracks makes it even harder than Desert Island Discs. Yeah. Like, I love Desert Island Discs, but it's also a slight personal nightmare to like ever get picked to be on Desert Island Discs because I'm like, how can I, how can I choose uh, that many songs mm. that, that I love? And like, then I'm like, suddenly it's like, you know, a Sophie's Choice situation. You're seeing all these, these babies that you, that you can't, <laughs> you can't take with you. Spoiler, <laughs> Sophie's Choice. But like, three tracks is even harder, right? It's, oh, like, it's, it's, it's such it's, a hard thing you're asking me. Literally today, I'm, I'm supposed to be talking to a comic uh, tomorrow. And he sent me like an essay of why <laughs> I'm a fucking idiot for doing this podcast and how much he hates me. 
Because <laughs> um, that's how passionate yeah, people are about it. Yeah, music. if you talk to the right person, it is, it is really, really hard. But then some people find it quite easy and they just do, like, okay, the first three things that come to my head. Right. And that makes a really interesting conversation. But um, yeah, it's, in the, it's a podcast. I always say like, I have a podcast I would never want to be on because it's just impossible to do. But the the sort of um, choosing just free, what you get with that is it just makes it a much better conversation because yeah, there's Island Disc is great, but like what I find about it, because what we say, my agent came up with it, but what we say is oh, the feature podcast is Desert Island Disc without the small talk, right? And I think because you have so many tracks to choose from, when you come down to just free, what you find is that the choices you pick, there's no fat on that free. If you have four... You can pick three of your favourite songs. The last one, you'll be like, maybe it's a favourite. Maybe it's one that you like. Maybe it's one you want to represent you to whoever's listening to it. But when it's free, what you find is it's just like, it's the free songs that you would want to listen to forever, you know? And for example, I'm recording with someone tomorrow and they're a big hip-hop fan. There's no hip-hop on there. And I was like, why is there no hip-hop on there? It's because these, these songs mean more to him. And I think if, the, if I was giving him like five tracks or six tracks, you know, it would, it would be like less truer. Yeah, no, I get that. So I like the fact that it was free. Because I, I had no idea, I can't remember how I came up with the idea, but I, just wanted to, I know I wanted to do a podcast about music. I wasn't sure how to do it, and I had the idea. And I, I was, I'm not sure how the number came out. Either I just sort of happened quite happily by accident. But I think free is the perfect number to have a good conversation. And it, the fact that it's so hard <laughs> makes it good as well. Right, and you're the and like one of the things that makes you a really great person to be doing that podcast is you've got like a wide range of musical tastes. I find it annoying to describe my musical taste as eclectic, but like it's, it's you know I don't want to use that word, but I'm aware that it could be used about me and it could be used about you. Mm. That's great. Like you, you're as passionate about all of these different kinds of music, yeah. um, and that's what you need because your guests are not going to be passionate about all of those different yeah. kinds of music. So you need to be able to get into the zone yeah. with like whatever one they choose like I've not heard but I've not listened to every single one so this very may, may well have happened but I've not heard anyone like hit you with loads of classical classical yet but I feel like you can go there if you need like if you oh need yeah to. um maybe not as good as I could with other genres but I think Tony Law is the first classical song we had yeah most genres I can I sometimes I surprise myself like my memory I have, I have a weird memory like my short-term memory is getting really bad but like I could remember like a b-side <laughs> from the, the 80s that from a band I've heard once so sometimes when I'm talking to someone, they'll be like, oh, have you heard this? But yeah, I haven't. It just sort of flows really naturally. So I was lucky, I guess, but I've been preparing for it my whole life. Just, and and yeah. like, if you had to choose three genres rather than three tracks, like what would your three genres be? Three genres. I guess that's quite, I guess that's, that's easy, really. Hip-hop, punk, and alternative, because alternative is such a broad genre. Right. It could be indie, you could pick anything from that. But yeah, hip-hop... Um, punk and alternative indie band music are probably the ones I go to the most. Right. Yeah. But one thing about having quite an eclectic musical taste, I guess, mm. um, and being a, a black person is that like sometimes you're going into spaces which are gonna you're gonna feel comfortable in and sometimes you're going to go into, into no, spaces that you don't feel comfortable there's in. No there's no spaces. I had a joke about this in my show. Cause I'm doing a show, I might be doing a show, who knows what's going to happen, but I've got a show called Hip Punk, which is basically my uh, sort of relationship with music. And the funny thing is, is like, I will go to like a hardcore punk show. Maybe not, because punk is a weird thing. You feel like a, if you listen to a certain types of band, you feel like a family. So it's like, you like it, it's fine, you know? Right. It's what you find sometimes with football fans who are like extremely racist, but as long as you support West Ham, it's fine by them, right? Right. So similar same thing in music. But So I go to a hardcore punk show. And it would be like, you know, I stand out like a sore thumb. Any, I stand out anyway, because I'm big and I've got a massive beard. But 
I feel I sort of feel the tension. But then you go to a hip hop show, and there's a thing with hip hop where it's like it's mostly white people, so there's no space you can right, really feel. Fuck. It's a really strange thing. I had a joke about it, which I won't say because I might keep it in. But um, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, so there's, there's no real. But you just get used to it, I guess. It used to be really hard growing growing up and as a kid, but I've, I've sort of gotten used to it now. With just uh, people being surprised by um, stuff that I listen to. Right. Yeah. I guess. I guess you probably have that all the time. Every right? day. <laughs> like that's definitely like a. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. Because you know what the, the thing that initially like attracted me to your podcast was like you know I'm I'm into punk right and things and and uh, and in the indie and mm. stuff like that. I'm also into hip hop as well, but like it's not necessarily like those those were the things that brought me to the show. Like yeah. I was like like having seen Armchair Anarchist, I was like he's into punk music. Mm. I'm gonna like like this stuff. But like I'm very aware that like the kinds of people who I know who listen to those music I would be really surprised to see somebody like you into those music, uh, which I don't think is like, I think like I like lots of kinds of music. Mm. I don't see why we would assume that one kind of person would like one kind of music, but yeah, it does it's just, get, it's just, it's just stereotypes, I guess, but yeah. it's easier now though. When I was a kid, it was really hard. Like now today it's almost kind of cool. Like right. border going hipster. Right, right. So I yeah, wear some band yeah. t-shirts because my whole wardrobe is just band t-shirts because I'm a sado, right? But um, I wear some band t-shirts. I can I can sort of trace the the memory of it being like maybe two or three, four years ago, five years ago, wearing a band t-shirt. People would be like, "Why are you listening to that band now?" It's like, "Oh, you're kind of cool. You're wearing an Iron Maiden t-shirt," <laughs> you know, because like it's uh, cool to wear like vintage band t-shirts now. But now because of Spotify and because music is so accessible to everyone. Um, it makes more sense because you know you could be in your you can, on a phone and it might lead you an algorithm might lead you to a, a weird obscure punk band. Right. But as a kid, when I was growing up, even though I'm young, I, I find it weird saying that. But when I was a kid, before that, and the internet wasn't really like a massive thing, you had to seek stuff out. So I would be like attracted to the punk section section and I'd be reading stuff and trying to figure out what bands to get into so right it was much more physical yeah and like so as a kid it meant that I would be seeking out this weird strange music whereas today it's like oh, maybe you just you know heard it on Spotify or on a playlist somewhere right you don't risk anything yeah. like finding it online whereas yeah, yeah there was a, a proper risk in mm. going into some some music shops and yeah. stuff so it's, not, so, it's not, sure. so it's not so bad today like it used to be quite tough I was picked on a lot in school for like in because, you know, people say, oh, you like white music. And uh, that was a funny thing. I had another joke about that, about how all music is black music because of the blues and stuff. But Right. Um, well, that's, yeah. I mean, like like you've already said as well, you know, there are, like, black uh, punks and, Ooh. like, there's a tradition, like, nearly every musical tradition that, you know, is built on the, the, the labour of, you know, your people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel uncomfortable phrasing it in that way. That's but right. I like I also quite, find I quite, it slightly quite enjoy that. Your people. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's true. I mean, just if you just look at facts, but because of the uh, stereotypes we've been sort of built into us, it just makes sense that you should like our hip hop and R and B, and we right. should like rock music and um, punk music. But it's it's not too bad now. It used to be. Now I sort of laugh it off. I guess it just it comes of age, and I've got into a stage now where it's just like with race based stuff. If it's not someone like trying to like, violently attack me, I don't really care. I just can't, I'm just so exhausted by trying to teach people. Yeah. I understand why you've come to that conclusion yeah, and, yeah. And, and like I think that's a healthy conclusion mm. for you to come to as an individual but it's depressing that that like as you know as somebody who doesn't uh, experience uh, you know systematic institutionalized mm. racism I uh, am depressed to hear yeah. like people like saying oh you know it's, it's just as long as it's like as long as it's not like really in my face it's yeah, right. yeah, yeah. 
That is but I, have to, I, I do have to say though, it's not all bands and it's not all gigs I go to. It's just sometimes you can feel it. Like um, it's usually with like smaller bands because if you're into the if you were into the four, rest in peace, Marky Smith, you had to. You can't being into the four. You don't stumble into that. You know you don't like listen to it on the radio and be like, I'm going to go buy a ticket to the four. Right. So if you're there at the four, it means you're there. Right. You know, so people will sort of embrace you. It's not, it's not even a thing that comes up. Right. But then you go to some gigs and you just get a look. I'm used to the look that I get. It's like, okay. It's almost like a, oh, okay. okay. You know, it's, not, it's never any sort of, anything sort of malicious or vicious. But sometimes you do get those uncomfortable looks. For, but, but for the most part, it's just like, we like the same band, cool. You know? Right. Yeah. I mean, I guess you get like, you. the other problem is like, I guess you can get it both ways as well. Like being a, a fan of uh, white people who get on stage and sing, mm. some of those white people are going to be, you know, like a lot of, well, majority of white people or white people, they're going to be fucking hella problematic. Like oh, you're yeah. going to go, like Morrissey is yeah, like yeah, yeah. going to ruin everything that I've, e- I've cancelled Morrissey did. this yeah. year, unfortunately. Because right. it, it was just, I should have done it earlier. But, it's hard though because the some the songs are so good, dude. Man, like, I, I remember the exact day that I I heard this charming man on the radio. I was like the Smiths, and that just became my life for a good few years. And then Morrissey happened, and it's just now it's just I can't. I've never seen him live either, which is annoying. But I, right. just, I can't give him any. I can't give him my money. No, I can't, fair like, enough. I had a Morrissey pillowcase that my wife bought for me for my birthday. It's a joke that I actually really liked. I had to throw it away. It was just like, it's, it's just, he can't, it's just, it's gotten to the stage now where it's like he's trying, or maybe he's not, maybe he's just an idiot, but he's trying to just, you know, piss people off by saying really horrible things. I mean, I hope he's trying because he's gone to the point where, like, if he's not trying, like, it's, it's, that, I mean, you know, he's, That's full, he's full on fashion. It's, it's, it's a scary thing because in a weird way you sort of hope that he is like he's using it as a way to sell records because what you'll find with Morrissey if you look at the timeline the only time he comes out and says something like oh Nigel Farage is okay is when he's got something to promote and I know it's quite cynical but I just hope that he's an idiot and he's doing it as a way to get himself in the news that's when that's the only time people write about Morrissey yeah so the other the other thing that makes it sad is that if he's not doing that then he's genuinely like Taking the ma- a massive like one eighty and become this old, decrepit racist man, right? Which is uh, unfortunate. I hate, I, yeah, I hate it when people fall fall into that like narrative that we're all sold. Like you start off uh, really radical when you're young, but when you get old, you'll mm. you'll you'll become a conservative and hate uh, people who aren't like you too. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, it's like, strange because it doesn't like always a... happen. It definitely doesn't mm. always happen. My dad's like ninety. For and he is, as you know, has, has always been progressive for his time. Like, I'm not saying he's not a person within a time. Like, I've you can go a few, you know, like his kind of racism is when the, the wire came out, he, he would go up to black people on the street and say, Have you seen the wire? <laughs> uh, I'm, not, I'm not saying he's he's completely flawless, but at the same time, he's not Morrissey, uh, right? Good. You don't have to be Morrissey, and he, that's someone from the 1920s, uh, with that attitude, right? Morrissey's not from the 1920s either, so like, mm. fuck. Morrissey, uh, which yeah. is so, it's such a shame to say that like, for me. Like, I'm, like when I say that, my teenage self is like, you know, sad, but um, my modern self is not sad anymore. I don't know, maybe we, maybe we need to have a conversation then about Morrissey. Maybe, can we like the Smiths still? Johnny Mars, all right? Can we still enjoy the Smiths? I think we can like the Smiths, yeah. surely. And like, I, I don't know, it's really hard. I mean, it's harder than like films. Like, I'm fucking happy to like never watch a, a Woody Allen film. Same. Whereas, like, the Smiths is so much harder. It hits different. you in a different way. I guess it depends on who you are. I know quite um, a few like film. <clears> I guess if you're like a proper film head, like a film buff, it might be. If if someone consumes film the way I consume music, 
and they're a fan of Woody Allen. I imagine it might be hard for them to do that. But like music is different because it's just so like the way it connects with you. It's, it's physical, right? Yeah, Internal. and bec- and especially if it's someone um, who connects with you in a way that Morrissey is being like, I'm an outsider. You're an outsider. Let's be outsider together. That's a very that's a bond that doesn't break. Right. So if he becomes like a who he's become, it's it's hard to break that bond. But you can have literal real life friends like that as well. Like you can come up together. You can be the people like with the outsiders together, and then you can like. In, I I am discovering now, you know, oh, really? in twenty years time, you can go like, hang on, no, we don't agree on all uh, those things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so, so it's tough. It can um, happen. So I, I I do. So if if I do meet people who are like still big Morrissey fans, I don't I don't sort. It took it took me a long time. It shouldn't have been like now, um, but yeah, I can't do it anymore. And I used to have a really good bit about Morrissey as well. I think it's on YouTube. I'm trying to I'm trying to kill it off YouTube, but. It's on YouTube is to do a Morrissey bit, and you can tell that now people who like Morrissey, they even don't because like I used to. Um, there was a very long bit about how it, Morrissey is okay and you should like Morrissey and stuff, and I've done that. Last time I done that was like maybe last year, and the response he got was completely different. Cause I think it came out at the time he said something stupid, and the response was it was very different to what it usually is because usually it's like, oh, okay, he's making a funny joke. Oh, Morrissey, yeah, he's a bit funny, but now it's like, oh no, mate, no, no, mate. <laughs> and that was when I realised like okay yeah he's really like doing damage now because he's like he's a guy that hasn't realised that the times are changing right because it's a completely different place now where you can't say the shit you're saying and it'll be like okay well you made this charming man it's fine it's like no we're really like we are cutting people out of pop culture history by what they're saying what they do yeah which is great I think yeah I think so too um, so yeah it's sad that most has gone but at the same time you know there's many people you can listen to that's not Morrissey. Exactly right, yeah. and there's, and there's plenty of there's plenty of people who are outcasts who've got music that speaks to that. Yeah, I mean, they're not fucking half fascist, at least if not full. Yeah, the, the cure, the cure, are great. The, the past, the past, um, the past year and a half has been like conversations I had with my friends. Like, oh, I would talk about a band, and they'd be like, oh, have you heard of what he said? It's like, oh, fuck, what they've done now. People are just like falling by the wayside. I mean, it's good though. I mean, like you can't sort of support assholes, you know. There's enough music out there where... I mean, even, like, Radiohead have, like, really pissed me off in recent years. Well, is, it, is it the Israel thing? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, like, this is it. Like, like it's, it's surprising to me how, how pop culture can go. Um, uh, and, but, like, so, okay, so there's, like, comedy, there's music, and then I guess, like, there's, like, armchair anarchists suggest as well that there's a politics to your way of mm. viewing the world. Like, yeah. how, how, would you, how would you describe that, that, that strand of your... Politically? Yeah. I'm incredibly left... Like, I mean, because the show Armchair Anarchist is basically that I believe in the idea of anarchism. And, I mean, anarchism... There was a point where I was super hardcore and really wanted to understand it. Yeah. But, like, you have to realise, even if you are, like, a legit anarchist, it's stupid, right? Because it doesn't work. I've read books. Like, it can work. I think it can work. But, like, it's so complicated... And usually, like, I don't want to go too deep into it, but if you look at the the, the Spanish, um, the CNT and stuff, like, where it was sort of working, it was getting there, it was getting there, it was yeah. getting there, then it just sort of tumbled under it. So it feels like in modern day society it can't work, but the ideas of it are so beautiful and so attractive to me. And I, th- I feel like, you know, the basic idea of people should be able to govern themselves or people should have more of a say of what the fuck happens other than, oh, I'm going to vote for this guy. Yeah. And, you know, that sort of stuff. Um, so I guess I is, I'm still like an armchair anarchist in the way in the, some of the, the stuff that I believe. Um, but then again, I wouldn't say that I'm very political 
and that's a recent thing because I used to like hoover up books by Noam Chomsky and right. I'd read I've, I've I've sort of last maybe two years ago I sort of um, I got really into uh, the Zapatistas and their movement and I was reading loads of books about that and I hoovered up um, a lot of uh, Black Power books like the Black Panthers and stuff and I was really reading it and not, not just because I wanted to be political but just because I wanted to sort of understand the movement and understand why they were doing it and understand how I could sort of apply it to how I fought and moved to d- in today's society right. so I was doing all that sounds very wanky but that's what I was doing um, and today I don't know I've got really um, maybe not dis- disenfranchised but, but like, like I, do, I do a joke now where I say because my, my wife's very political in her, she's, she's a very staunch feminist and stuff, which I love about her. And she's very, I say she's very woke, right? And I'm very woke too, but I like to take naps in between my my wokeness. <laughs> and it's because, like, if you meet people on the left, like friends that I've got, is that we're all just so fucking miserable because we want the world to be better and the world's so bad. And you look at people on the right and they're just having a fucking blast. They have, they're having fucking marches, they're tiki talks, it looks great, right? But we're over here being like, oh, you know, so I've gotten to a stage... Which isn't good. I know it's not good, so I'm not celebrating it. But I've gotten to a stage where it's just like I can't, I can't be bothered anymore. Like if it's like a, I'm going to vote. I'm always going to vote. I'm always going to support things I think I should support, you know. But um, politically, I've gotten very, I've become very lapsed in my in my politics, which is a shame. But it's just, it's just so much stuff. It's to, a lot. It's a lot to, like, it just felt like you're in a ring in a boxing match and just getting punched and punched and punched. If it's like Theresa May is still a fucking thing, <laughs> Donald Trump is happening, uh, you know. And then it's like when what I see as well is like things happen like Grenfell Tower, right? And uh, which is really sad. But what I what the thing that really upsets me about politics and stuff is that becomes like a really sexy thing to be a part of for a moment, and then it sort of stops, you know? Because like I live my life through Twitter now. I don't really watch the news, thank yeah. God. I don't read newspapers anymore. I just see things through Twitter, which is really can be good, can be bad, but. What I saw when that was happening was I saw a lot of people retweeting things and saying stuff, but then that sort of dies down as news does, and their lives are still fucked and ruined, and they're still like not housed and stuff. And but then we're, we've moved on, and we're right, we're right, talking right. about Boris Johnson saying a stupid thing now, and right. so it's just like I I guess I have no idea how to move, and I think it's it's a simple solution just sort of find what you believe in, and support that thing. But then when you see when you see stuff like that, it sort of makes you feel like, oh, what's the fucking point, you know? Which is stupid as well. Because one of the things with anarchism is like they'll say stuff like, oh, well, don't vote doesn't make a difference, and in some ways it doesn't. But it does. Things aren't. Yeah. Just... Well, that's where I park. Yeah. With yeah. A lot of anarchists. Exactly. Right. So I mean, th- I call. I think of myself as a pragmatic anarchist. Mm. Like, yeah, sure. Like the the end place would be great, but. Anything that gets us a bit better, a little bit better yeah. situation is good. And that's the thing. It's like politics isn't black and white. And a lot of people pretend it is. There's, there's so much grey area. And it's, I guess it's just tr- tr- me trying to find my way to navigate through stuff. So right. I don't know if I've answered your question, but basically... No, you've answered it. Politically, I'm an arsehole. <laughs> that's the only way I can sort of describe it. With your comedy, like, mm. what are the influences on it, like, is, like, I guess alternative comedians like yeah. and storytelling mm. comedians there's a kind of elements to that and like I guess you've got like influences coming from your musical taste right yeah. do you think that influences how you do your comedy musically yeah like I haven't really thought about that actually but I mean I do a lot of jokes about music like I said I used to have a Morrissey bit but as far as like performance stuff like I can draw a line like when I started comedy wise um, I was obsessed with do you know Mitch Hedberg yeah 
one of my favorite comics. I literally can't listen to him anymore because he's so good. His his voice becomes implanted in your head. And there was like a year where I was just ripping off Mitch Hedberg because I was so influenced by him. Right. Um, so I mean, I can draw a line between comedians and saying like, you know, the way I perform, even the way I hold a mic could be similar to that comedian. But as far as music, I don't know, I haven't really thought about it. That's a quite interesting question. Um, who would influence my mus- me musically and comedy? I'm not sure. I have to think about it. But um, yeah. Because definitely, I mean, some of the like, like, like Bill Hicks in, in it is, is an interesting, like one of the interesting, like, influences for you to have because mm. there, he did definitely mix music and like there was well, a kind of rock star element to how he, he did it, it right? yeah it's weird of hicks for me though because i was like i said we all do this all comics do this right you because bill hicks was such a big thing and it's like it's like there's three comics or maybe two it's like bill in the uk is bill hicks and Stuart lee those are the two people people sort of let on to and i was obsessed with bill hicks for like a, a too long I was going on stage in all black, be trying to be a dark poet and shit. <laughs> and like what they, what I say in comedy is you have to, if you're going to start doing comedy, you need to become obsessed about it and like find people that you like and really devour it. But then once you start doing it, you have to kill your idols. If that makes right, sense. Absolutely. So like with Bill Hicks, I got to a stage where it's like, I can't, you know, I can't be Bill Hicks times two. You know, I've got to do, I've got to find, you know, find my own voice. Right. Right. So I sort of left Bill Hicks, but I don't really sort of watch a lot of comedy anymore, sort of in the same way I used to. So Bill Hicks was like a very, a very intense two-year period. Right. I don't think he influences me anymore. He definitely did when, when, I, when I was growing up, but or starting out, I mean. But comedy-wise, I'm not even sure who I could say. I think Chris Rock is a, is a big influence on, not necessarily my comedy, but how I want to sort of say stuff. Because what you see of Chris Rock is like, his bits and the reason why he sort of repeats himself a lot is like he's going to drill this bit is this message and you have to get this message from this bit and that's that bit and this bit is this so whether it's gun control from the bullet thing or the uh, the black community from the n-word bit it's like these are the messages you want to get and what i see of my stuff not that i'm comparing myself to chris rock but i want one bit is saying a specific type of thing I want to draw that into someone. So I think that that would probably be my biggest comedy influence. But I think the best comics you will see is they had influences and then along the line they found who they were and they and they became the influencers. So like Stuart Lee was, if you look at his earlier stuff, he was influenced by Ted Chippington, I think his name was. And you could, you could definitely see that in yeah. early stuff, but then he sort of became his own thing. And as far as like what you see now is you can you can see it in comics who, who became sort of obsessed with Bill Hicks and then kept that. Right. And it's sad to see because you can it's, definitely see sorry. that. Yeah. yeah, you can you can see it, and it's like, come on, dude! Like you just like because Bill Hicks was a one of one, and you can't. It's same with Mitch Hedberg, same with Seinfeld in a way, even though his his style of comedy is so broad, observational stuff. It's hard to say. Oh, he's Seinfeldian, Seinfeldian, if that's a thing. So you just have to kill your idols because I, I know a lot of comics who are still ripping off Bill Hicks, and you got you can't do that. No, for sure. And it sounds like to it to a certain extent, like there's a similarity more in your like the way that you're a fan of music. It might be a similarity of like the way that you're a fan of comedy, mm. like the kind of obsessive like getting into something and then stopping listening to it for a bit. Like that that's something oh, I can definitely. Really relate to in music terms. Like yeah. I make music, I'm not that good, but definitely like you listen to someone, you start being like them, then you're like I can't listen to them for like ten years. Like now sometimes. Well, I'm, like, Completely. listen to ba- bands that massively influenced me when I was younger and I'll be like oh wow they are you know they're every they're everything I remember but I haven't listened to them for ages because yeah. I don't want to I just I don't know you get to a point where you feel like you've you've absorbed it all and you need to like let it sit mm. and not like keep on stirring the, the bottom yeah. of the pool the problem with me though is I have a very addictive and obsessive personality 
So with everything, if you just if you ask anyone that knows me, there's like different periods of my life where this is the thing right. that's happening. And sometimes it's a bad thing or a good thing, but like I've become obsessed with it. That's an interesting sort of parallel because now in comedy, I think because I've, I'm not doing it as much as I used to because of the podcast, I'm sort of focusing on that a bit more right. and trying to pick it up. Maybe I'm not trying to discover the new sort of comedy thing because I don't really watch a lot of comedy anymore like obviously if there's comics like who I'm on with like performing with I'll watch there's some favourites that I have that I like to watch and I think it's good because with the great comics you find yourself picking up their mannerisms you find yourself saying things like them even with comics that you're friends with like the comics that I'm friends with like I've got a close friend like Sam Sam Golden is a good comic Jamali Maddox and we used to gig a lot together and what we, we did a show in Edinburgh um, we did a free hander a, couple, a few years back and we would see, like, we picked up each other's little stage chests. Something I used to do on stage is I would, like, just slam a point home, similar to Chris Rock. I would, I would slam the, the mic stand on the floor, right? And then a week, in the second week, Jamali did that. And the something Jamali would do was hold the microphone in a very specific way. If you watch him, the way he holds the microphone, it's very him. And then I started doing that. So you could find yourself, like, picking up little things. Because comedy is such a solitary job, you want to be yourself. So... It's hard to take in comedy and be a comedian at the same time. I think it's similar to if you talk to a lot of, um, especially in hip-hop, rappers don't tend to listen to any other music but themselves because it's very easy to pick up like a biggie flow or a big pun flow. Right. And then you've been accused of being a rip-off. So it's, it's a very strange, because you need to know what's going on. And right. You need to know and you need to be aware of like what people are responding to, but you need to also separate yourself from it. Right. I mean, because it's often it's like useful to like, like, so... I make a, a podcast drama series, mm. but I don't listen to that many podcast dramas oh, at the moment, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. But like, but I do listen to like non-fiction podcasts, and they that influences a lot in how I make my oh, okay. in, how I make my drama. But I feel like if I was listening to loads of drama at the moment, it would be a real danger that I just like start copying it. Mm. But instead, like to to copy non-fiction stuff in drama actually is like that's that's a completely different thing. It's yeah. a completely different, and maybe it's a bit like that. Like I definitely find if I'm writing one kind of music it's useful to listen to a completely different kind of music oh, when yeah. I'm in breaks mm. rather than listen to like like if I'm making a punk song I don't want to listen to a load of punk stuff or I'll just rip it off mm. right? I guess it's a similar thing it, with does, it does especially if it's good art you can't help but be influenced by it right because you know? um just how your brain works and I guess you are seeing comedians as well because every time you do a gig you're seeing comedians mm, for the most part yeah like the more you do something the less fun it becomes oh, you, in your free time that's the problem yeah 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's good to it's good to <laughs> funny thing is like a place that I love to go to is New York City I love New York and uh, often if you tell a comic oh where have you been I've been to New York they'll be like oh did you gig there so now I was on holiday mate I don't want to fucking <laughs> gig on my holiday you know even though it's a great city to gig in, it's like I want to just enjoy stuff and eat a pizza. So um, <laughs> finding it, trying to find a break from it, it's good because you do meet people who like who are completely consumed by comedy. I think it's good that I have music because that is my I think that is my outlet for just whether it's stress or just anything. Music is what must my release from things. So like it's lucky that I have music and this podcast, so I have a way to separate myself right. from it because I've met comics who are just so obsessed by this one thing that like that's all they are, and you talk to them. Because what I love about... Because in comedy, you have you have acquaintances more than you have friends. Uh, and you have... If you're lucky, you have a few good friends you can call your friends. And if you have a conversation with them and it's just about comedy, it gets to a point where it's like, just go away. Like, tell me about what you what you listen to. What, is, what movie did you see? And you don't want to become that person that's so consumed by the thing that you do that it defines you. Right. You know? Any comic that you like 
or love. Yeah, they're a great comic, but they're also something else. Right. So, yeah, I've, I think I'm lucky I have music because I, I would just be a, a <laughs> one of the boring comics and just talk about comedy all the time. And when you're bringing those things together, like when you're saying like you're doing less gigs, it doesn't mean that you're like doing less talking because you're doing podcasts, right? You're, yeah. you're having conversations with people, mm. you're doing opening monologues. Uh, and when you're doing that, that's all going to be stuff that's like, it's not like you're going to have not been doing as much comedy. You've been doing different kinds of talking. And when you go back to comedy in different moments and different times, that stuff's going to come with you too. Like the, the stuff you'll have learned through doing the podcast will be in some ways appropriate. In a way, sorry, in a way it does. In a way it doesn't though. I think the podcast helps me more with social conversations. Right. Which I, which I found because I'm not a very sociable person. Right. But... What I find now is whenever I talk to my friends or people that I've just met, I end up interviewing them. I don't know I, if you if you find yeah, that as well. Yeah, I have done. It happens. I've been doing it for a while, so yeah. I've to not do that. As yeah, much, it's but, weird. Yeah. It's really it's very. I was interviewing my mum the other day. It was very strange. <laughs> but like um, with, with comedy though, comedy is like boxing, right? If you, you you do get ring rust, like I did a gig the other day, and I felt it. I felt like because there there comes a time, which is why Edinburgh is so good to bring it back to that. Is if you gig, what you find after you leave Edinburgh or halfway through Edinburgh, is you become so fucking slick because you've been doing it five times a day, every day for right. two weeks. So if you if you don't do that, you do find yourself sort of maybe not being as good, not being as loose as you were in comedy. Um, but podcasting and talking to people has helped me um, just in conversation and talking to people. It's easy for me to... Because my wife always wanted me to go to fucking parties and shit. I don't want to do that. I want to stay indoors and listen to vinyl. <laughs> but what I find is easy because I just, I just end up interview, interviewing them because it helps you um, with just conversations. Because doing comedy, sometimes what you find if, if is like you end up not talking to anyone until you come on, until you go on stage. Right. Which is very, it's very, it's a very strange feeling. So it's good to have uh, an outlet where you can just talk for a bit. Right. You know? Yeah. And it gives it a focus as well. Like that's one of the things I like about it. Like it's, it, I find just like talking to people randomly can be quite stressful. I don't know what the rules are. Like I don't know what I'm supposed to talk. Would you to be like about. a stranger? Yeah. Whereas like with a, if I have a microphone, it's like it's in it's in in the middle of a, the table. Mm. I feel like right. Okay, We're I've kind of got permission. Now. We've got permission to talk. I can oh, I, see what I you can mean. ask things. I can do this. Like quite often, like my social issue is is more that. Like, I don't have boundaries, so I, like, will meet oh, really? someone and tell them everything, right? Mm. That can be very unpleasant for people on the yeah. other side of that. I think my thing is I have too many boundaries. <laughs> people people who, who would say they're my friends or consider themselves my friends will probably say um, I'm very sort of, I'm quite closed off. I'm not sure where that comes from, but it's, I guess it's just, um, I'm not sure. It's just, it's just how I am. I'm not sure how it sort of came to be. But in conversations, usually my thing is like, I don't really talk about myself. So my go-to is always music. If I meet someone at a party that's really into music, I can talk to them for hours and hours and right, hours and hours. Right, but right. if it's just like, I think I said it already, but when you meet someone and they're like, oh, so how have you been? So how do I answer that? Do you want me to actually answer the question? Yeah, or, should I I, question. or should I just say, because if you want to really know, it's gonna, I might depress you a little bit, yeah. you know? Or when it's like conversations that aren't, I think this is a part of becoming being a comic is you're in control of the situation. I think that's what I enjoy. So if it's a, a conversation about music, I all day can talk about that. If you want to talk about like you know something else, I'll probably just be singing a song in my head while you're talking to me. <laughs> but yeah, so social, social situations, those situations are quite um, interesting now that I'm doing the podcast. I find I find them easier. It's still right. tough, but it's easier. And would you say that you're like an introvert then? Oh, completely. Right. Yeah. And a lot of people find it weird to imagine why introverts go on stages, but like I don't find that hard to understand. I know quite a lot of introverts, but mm. but like, 
do you find that a bit of a contradiction or do pe- have people seen that contradiction around that yeah people who aren't in comedy who know me kind of and then see me do comedy will be like that's Jacqueline Hyde because it's completely different even though I'm quite low-key on stage I have been told I don't want to sound like I'm kissing my own ass, but I exude a lot of confidence on stage and in person. I I exude a quite sort of a quiet confidence, but a confidence that's like or, or a persona or a a vibe that is quite like I'm just want to be left alone a little bit. So there is a a way I've been told that is a a strange thing. But as far as introverts go, I mean most comics are introverts. Some are extroverts. Those are most of the, mostly they're the knowing ones. But see, yeah, most most are introverts. I'm not sure why. I think someone said it in, in an interview, sort of um, explained it better than I can. But I remember what they said. But there is some sort of thing of being a comic and being an introvert is is that they come one one sort of come in the same hand because it makes you a good comic. I think the reason I'm a good, I've been told I'm, I'm quite the podcast is quite good because I'm a good interviewer. I think the reason I do that because I listen, and the reason I listen because when I'm in the conversation and stuff, I I just like to sort of observe things in people. I don't like to integrate myself into it, and that helps you become a good interviewer. Helps you become a good comic because when you're doing comedy, and I hate, I'm sorry if I'm sounding like I'm like a comedy master, but just what I've learned is, firstly, being able to read a room because I think I can read people quite well, and because I'm not talking all the time, and I'm sort of seeing how facial expressions go, so I know what jokes to do in a certain rooms. And being an introvert and listening more than talking allows you to know more about the world. I think because if you're talking all the time, you're not listening to what's going on. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's interesting because, like, one of the reasons I guess I do this show is to learn to listen better, right? Because mm. I don't necessarily naturally do that. I think of myself as an ambivert, right? I, I, I'm not, I'm definitely not a full introvert, but I, I don't feel like I fit in with extroverts either. Like, I feel uh, like I'm, I move around. Yeah, yeah. But definitely, like, one of the reasons I do this show is to learn to listen better. Mm. I don't know. I've been doing it for years. I've been doing it since 2011. I'm not sure I listen better now than I did (laughs) at the beginning. Sometimes, certainly I talk too much. In some of the episodes I listen back, I'm like, I'm talking too much. Like, is it, is it over, is it over a woman? No. Okay. That's a little bit better. Um, (laughs) But, but still like it's, it's, so it's interesting to hear somebody kind of come into conversations and, and, and sitting down with people from the other side of like, Mm. I already listen. Mm. uh, And now I'm just going to share that, that quality with the world. I like Mm. that, Mm. like better. And that is, it's an interesting thing. It's like, that's almost like to speak to like what you were saying of like, exuding quiet confidence that's a very quietly confident move like, yeah right i can do this because i listen and i can see and you, that, that's that's definitely there like the quality that i enjoy about the conversations on your podcast is exactly that, mm. that you are like very good listening and calm right i'm a very uncalm presence <laughs> right uh like my thing is awkwardness like if if, if people laugh uh when i say things on stage it's because they're laughing at my kind of neurosis and my awkwardness <laughs> like neurotic and like kind yeah. of obsessive uh, but it's interesting because you are also an obsessive though right You're oh saying, completely yeah. yeah so like it's, it's interesting like yeah I'm definitely that's that's where I'm like a that's where I'm introverted mm. like, I can't stop thinking about like a thing and like I get really obsessed I read everything about it and like you know the whole world goes to sleep while I read everything I can oh, yeah. and like that I won't have anything to do with yeah. you know I won't eat I'll forget to eat because I'm so oh, all the time yeah it's to me like I mean it helps the podcast in a way but like um, <laughs> right. a perfect example is most nights I'll be like scrolling through SoundCloud and Bandcamp trying to find new bands and stuff to listen to and if I find one that I like I'll just go down a t- ridiculous rabbit holes and trying to figure out more about them and usually they have like four or three songs but I'll be searching for stuff and searching and it turns into a thing where it's like it's, it's 6am 
and I've got something to do tomorrow and I'm still up just doing this thing. And it's been like, I've always been like that, just obsessed about certain things and just like letting that take me take over my life for a period of time. And sometimes it can be good, like, you know, if you're writing a show and you're hoovering up a lot of information that you need to do the show, that's great. But if you've got a meeting tomorrow and you're listening to the same song for the 20th time because you like it, it's not trendy. <laughs> so I'm trying to sort of make it work in my favour more, but it's, it's tough. Right, I know that feeling. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's been really uh, great getting better acquainted with you today. Um, the last question that I ask everybody yeah. is, do you have anything to plug? Just the, the Free Trek podcast. Right. Um, so I talk to comedians, musicians, writers. I get them to name three of their favourite songs and we talk about music in general and stuff. And it's just a fun little thing. So go listen to that. I enjoy it a lot. It's on uh, iTunes, uh, Libsyn, also on Spotify now, which is nice. Yeah, that's, um, that's great. Yeah. It's very appropriate for your show to be yeah, on Spotify. Yeah, because apparently, I had no idea, but apparently they, they, cur- they curate it, right? They do, yeah. So, so I'm the, still waiting to hear back yeah, from them. Yeah. So if they like it, they put you on, which is... Which is nice. So, so let's listen to that podcast. It's good. And yeah, I mean, if you listen to that, you'll be able to connect all different things with following me on Twitter and stuff. And you could find my little universe. Right. I mean, and you've got like an amazing like collection of guests as well from like different mm. dif- different angles, different times, different yeah. kinds of people. Yeah. I, I try to, because um, with the podcast, you want to sort of ha- have someone on that has like a decent following and stuff that people listen to. It. Yeah. But at the same time, um, what I wanted to do was make sure I had an interesting conversation with someone. So, like, uh, one of my favourite episodes is with someone called um, Alexandra Petropoulos, who likes world music, right? And she's a, very, a fairly new comic. She's not very... She's not, she's not been doing it very long, but I knew we'd have a great conversation and a different conversation. So, yeah, I tried to mix it up a little bit with the people that I have on. Yeah, no, it's, it's a great mix. And I'm like, you know, I'm always excited to see, like, which, you know, which person is going to be the, 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 the next week. Like, mm. there's always a different angle. I think... Um, oh, I can't remember his name, but I think my favourite one is is with the guy that wrote that really great book about, about Graham. Yeah, yeah, right, Jeffrey Bayachi. That's right. But it was one That's of my favourites. Like my, oh, that is a fucking amazing episode. But I'm not. I don't mean to say that the other episodes aren't as good. No, I know people say that to me. All, but that's people great. say that to me all the time. And like, if you if you're listening and you want to know about him, get his book. It's called Hold Tight. It's about Grime and like black masculinity. And what I love about that conversation, I've never met him before. I just saw the book, I read a bit of it, I was like, I want to talk to this guy. And we just ended up clicking so instantly, and it was like, because you know, you've done a podcast, you've done a podcast with people. Yeah. It can take time to get to a, a stage where it's like, oh, we're on the same level, and yeah, we're fine. Yeah. And like, even today I've been rambling, and you know, it can be tough. But um, with him, we just, bang, He his wife was heavily pregnant, she was due any minute, he just sat down, and we had a really good conversation, and his passion for music, and knowledge, and just his, his, um, just his vibe was so great. I love the episode because he's a great guy as well. So go check out his book, Hold Tight. Yeah, and check out uh, Gabriel's podcast as well. And uh, the last thing I ask my guests uh, to do is to say goodbye to the audience. Goodbye, audience. Thank you for listening to me ramble about my life. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Bye. If you're interested in hearing about masculinity and what patriarchy does to men and to all people, then if you go to the Unbound website, and there'll be a link to this in the show notes, you can find Mansplaining Masculinity over there and pre-order a copy of that book. Unbound is a kind of cross between a publishing company and a crowdfunding company, which means that the way that the books get published is that people who want to read the books 
pre-order those books. They can pre-order them as a digital copy or as a hardback, or they can pledge more money to get different kinds of things along with the book that they're pre-ordering. You can find all of that stuff over on mansplainingmasculinity.co.uk. If you're interested in reading about me and my dad and our relationship and dementia and memory and time and history and politics and love and friendship check out my essay series down to a sunless sea memories of my dad as well as making getting better acquainted i also co-produce and i guess star in the magical realist audio drama podcast the family tree in order to keep making it and to make season two as good as we want it to be we need your help so if you can afford to then please do consider signing up to our patreon appeal you can follow getting better acquainted on twitter at gba podcast you can like getting better acquainted on facebook and you can find getting better acquainted on itunes soundcloud those kind of places But remember, there are lots of ways to get better acquainted.